Hi, I'm Josh, and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It's the 22nd of August 2021, and this is podcast number 16. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Melbourne. It's a little windy. Actually, it feels like spring is coming. The last few days, we have not had much in the way of cold weather, and it really, it felt like, it feels like to me that the seasons are starting to turn. Typically, spring in Melbourne is usually quite windy. Uh, it's not a great time for me. There's often quite a bit of pollen in the air, so I get a bit of hay fever with that. But um, it's nice to have some, uh, so certainly to have some warm weather and to have a bit of a break from the rain. So on the on today's episode, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how to make and create great wildlife photographs in the field. This is kind of going to be a bit of a follow up podcast to a couple of the other podcasts I've done uh, already. One of which was on the three F's of wildlife photography. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. This podcast came about as a result of an email I received a few days ago asking if I could just give some real practical tips for, you know, what to do when you're out in the field to make sure you're getting better wildlife photographs. And I think we can do that. Um, And I actually think it's a good idea to perhaps do that in context of a bit of a story. So about three decades ago now, that's a long time ago now, wow. Uh, this is back in the film days, obviously. I was just learning to photograph. I was studying photography. I was shooting a lot of transparency film, um, 35 millimeter, primarily Provia and a little bit of Velvia. Uh, those were my two films of choice. And I had been out photographing Australian wildlife in a nature reserve not far from me, about an hour and a half's drive at a place called Hillsville. They have a lot of uh, native Australian animals there. And uh, it's it's kind of a zoo, but... Um, Many of the animals there, particularly the um, the large raptors and things like that, um, sort of fly in and out. So it's it's uh, it is a, it is definitely a park, and I certainly wouldn't call it wild, but it's a great place to practice um, wildlife photography. And I'd been out to this park for the second time in um, consecutive weeks because the first trip had yielded really nothing more than a handful of mediocre photographs that I was I honestly pretty dissatisf- dissatisfied with. Um, many of my exposures were off, the lighting was crap, and the animals were, you know, pretty stagnant in the frame. The images that were well exposed were cluttered and busy, and they just they just weren't what I had in weren't like what I had in my mind's eye. Now, of course, in my mind's eye, every photograph as I clicked the shutter was going to be perfect, well exposed, beautiful light, clean background, the sort of thing I was used to seeing on the covers of magazines. Um, and then, you know, as I was sitting having coffee, I remember having a couple of revelations about uh, what I was doing. Now, the first of these was that I realized that the subject really needed to be doing something interesting in the frame. You know, a stagnant shot of a koala just sort of sitting in a tree is pretty pretty boring, to be honest. Um, so is a polar bear just standing still in the ice in harsh light. You know, it's, it's boring. It doesn't say anything about the subject. Uh, it doesn't really matter what focal length you use. It doesn't matter where the animal is positioned in the frame or how perfect the exposure and composition are. It, what, if the animal isn't doing something that's going to pique the viewer's interest it's really not going to create an interesting photograph and it will probably, unfortunately, be pretty boring. Now, that this became known to me later on as something I call the three Fs of photography. And, and as I said, I've done a podcast on this. Uh, you can look it up in the show notes. But basically, if you look for a wildlife that's feeding, fighting or fornicating, the three Fs of, of photography, you've got a fair chance of getting a photograph of something interesting. It may not be a great photograph, but it will at least be something interesting. Just as an aside, before I sort of get on with this any further, this podcast, I was just thinking in the back of my mind as I was talking about this, how lucky we are today in digital that we have the ability to 
check the exposure on the back of the camera. You know, back then when I was shooting 35 millimeter film, if you were a third of a stop out either side of a good exposure, pretty much the tranny went in the bin. Uh, and you couldn't fix it in, you know, in, in post production. Nowadays, of course, it's very easy to fix, but I learned back then the, you know, the craft of photography and trying to get my exposures right in camera. And that's still something I very much try to do today. The closer and the more accurate the exposure can, I can get in camera, the less work generally I have to do in post production. And, you know, I'm very much an in camera kind of guy. So I'm a big fan of trying to get it right in the camera. So I do look at my histogram a lot when I'm out photographing. I'm not looking usually at the image. I'm, it's the histogram that I'm interested in. So anyway, I digress. Let's get, let's get back on topic. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. I was sitting having coffee at this Hillsville park, uh, this wildlife park in Hillsville. And I had this, I was thinking about why my photographs weren't very good. And then what I was thinking was I needed to take more care with understanding the importance of depth of field in relation to the subject. Cause I actually had the previous week's uh, transparencies with me and I was looking at, I was holding them up to the sun and looking at them and I could see that you know, I had been shooting with my lens significantly stopped down to make sure I had adequate depth of field. Now that made sure that the animal was sharp, but it also made sure everything else in the background was was sharp too. So I was massively overshooting my numbers. And I was, you know, whilst I was guaranteeing this sharp subject, I was also guaranteeing that I was not going to have a nice, clean, soft background and that the animal would sort of, it would be very messy overall. I had no chance of isolating the subject from the background. So many of my subjects, many of my subjects on and my photographs really were not very good. Now, these days when I'm out photographing in the field, I tend to do the exact opposite. I tend to shoot my big lenses close to wide open. Um, and the reason for that is I want that nice uh, shallow depth of field. I want to soften the background and I want to be able to isolate my subject. Now, the other thing that I do is I choose my background. Uh, these days, I will almost always, when I can at least, choose my background and let the wildlife come into the frame. Now, you can only do this if you, uh, well, it takes a little bit of luck and a little bit of skill, but you also need to be able to predict the animal's movement. So if you know a little bit about how the animal behaves, then you've got a better chance of doing this and being able to choose a nice clean background and then get the animal to come into the frame. Uh, that's I think that's the optimum way to do it. And that's usually the way I try and do it. Now, these might seem fairly obvious things to most sort of seasoned wildlife photographers. And they're, they're second nature to me these days. I, to be honest, I do them without even thinking. But they are quite honestly also the same areas that I see a lot of photographers making the same mistakes. And it's usually the, in the excitement of the moment when the wildlife is first first spotted. Um, you know, many people at that point just forget these considerations and they just start shooting wildly. Uh, they forget to compose. They forget to think about background. They forget to think about the relationship between the subject, the f-stop of the of the lens um, that they're shooting, uh, and how far the background is away as well. All of these need to go together to produce a great photograph. Photograph, um, You know, the importance of background in relation to the subject, I really can't overemphasize that. And, you know, on many occasions, even just stepping a foot or two to one side of the initially chosen uh, background can yield a better photograph. Um, as I said, these days I try and choose my background and let the wildlife come into the frame um, because the background really, I think, is as important as the subject. In fact, it may even be more important, to be honest. Now, there's a lot of elements that need to come together to capture, you know, a fantastic wildlife photograph. You need an evocative subject, so something that's going to stimulate the viewer. Now, on top of that, the subject's really got to be doing something interesting. That's the three Fs of wildlife photography. And then on top of that, it's really got to be doing something interesting in good or interesting light. It's no good having the first two 
if the subject is then, you know, in harsh daylight or sunlight and you really sort of can't work with the light. So there's a lot of things that need to be to come together. And then you need to remember to try and be at eye level with the subject. Now, I know that's not always easy to do. Sometimes you just can't. But the problem with not being at eye level is if you're shooting top down, so looking down on a subject, it's a very voyeuristic point of view. And what it means is when the viewer looks at your image, they're going to struggle to connect with it. They're going to struggle to connect with it because there's no intimacy there. Whereas if you're down at eye level with the subject, you're putting yourself on the same plane and there's a lot more intimacy intimacy there. So that's very important as well. So bringing all those things together is uh, is very, very important to create a great wildlife photograph. And you can't do all of those things if your camera controls are not muscle memory. And I've talked about this a lot as well in recent podcasts, uh, why upgrading your camera might be a bad idea and why it's important to learn the controls of your camera uh, to the point where they become muscle memory and you can make photographs without having to think about what you're doing technically. You know, you don't want to have to switch your brain from being an artist to being a technician, as I like to say. So there's a lot of elements that need to come together uh, to produce a great uh, to produce a great wildlife photograph. Um, and we'll talk about those in, in in what in how that operates in the field practically in just a moment. Um, the last thing, though, just before I do that, is this is just something to think about in the back of your brain when you're out photographing. Um, is that you need to try and see something interesting about the subject. I'm not talking about the subject doing something interesting, but you need to try and see something interesting about the subject. Um, it's your interpretation of the photograph is your interpretation of the subject, but it's also your artistic statement to the world about the subject. So you've got to really know what you're trying to say when you take a photograph. Um, and that takes, you know, you've got to put some thought into that. The aim at the end of the day is to convey to the viewer the emotion, drama, and story that you want to impact about the wildlife that you're photographing. You really need to give the viewer something they can they can connect with. And if you can do that and you can do those things, you'll have a winning image every time. So let's just talk practically for a moment about what you can do when you're out in the field uh, to make better wildlife photographs. I think the first one is to spend some real time. When This is when you can. Right? You don't always have these opportunities, but when you can, to spend a good amount of time just scouting out the area that you're going to work in. Try and find where the best backgrounds are. Try and work. Try. I often do some sample test photographs where I will literally photograph a stick or something or a stick in the ground against the background to work out what is the optimum depth of field, if that's where the subject's going to be. Uh, the more, I think, the more scouting and the more um, preliminary planning you do, the better you give your, ch- the better chance you give yourself of c- capturing a great photograph. So I think that's the first thing that you can do that's practical out in the field is just spend some time scouting out the area where the wildlife might be and where the wildlife might come from. Where's going to be the best backgrounds and where you should set yourself up and then doing some test photographs so that you can see what the results are going to be. doesn't matter what it is. I actually had a client of mine bring a small teddy bear uh, to Finland a couple of years ago uh, for just this reason. They would put it out in the field so that they could work out what depth of field they wanted to use and then they'd go and do some test shots of the teddy bear against the background they wanted might sound funny, but it really works. And then they take that teddy bear away and wait for the wildlife to come. And that's actually a very clever thing to do. Now, I'm not advocating that we all run around with teddy bears out in the field, but what you can do is just use something you find out in the field. You know, anything can can do the job. You can use your rucksack or your camera bag if you, ha- if you have nothing else. That's a very good way to work out what depth of field you're going to need for an optimum, um, optimum uh, what's the word I'm trying to find here? Um, 
to get the, the best uh, effect of having the, sharp, the, the, the subject sharp against a nice soft background. I think that's what I'm trying to say at the end of the day. I think that's the overall, that's my number one tip for general tip for when you're out in the field. If you've got the time and ability to do this. Now, if you're out photographing on an expedition ship, and you're shooting polar bears from the side of the ship. Now, obviously, you can't do that. You've got to try and work with what you've got. But you've still got deck space you can move around on. And, you know, even a few steps, uh, left or right, sometimes can make a huge difference to the quality of the background. Uh, I know when I'm leading expeditions on ship and we're photographing polar bears, I'm very, I'm spending a lot of my time actually directing the skipper, uh, telling him where I want the ship. Do I want the ship to the left of the bear, to the right of the bear? Because I'm looking at the background all the time and I'm trying to set up the, the shot for not just myself, but for all the participants on board so they get the best possible background and have the best chances. Because a lot of the, the ship's captains, you know, they're not photographers. So they don't know whether we, the ship should be on the left or the right for the best background. So I'll spend a lot of time uh, on situations like that directly skippers um, and I'm often seen you know running up and down to the bridge um, telling them you know go left go right please try and put the boat on this side of the bear or the other side of the bear because you there's almost always something you can do out in the field to improve your background uh, and now with the benefit of being able to get instant feedback on the back of our cameras you can shoot test shots uh, to your heart's content until you get something that you're happy with uh, if you're photographing wildlife out there in the field and you're looking at the images on the back of the camera and you're not happy with them, then ask yourself, what is it about those images that you're unhappy with and how can you fix it? Because you can't fix it once you get back in the, into uh, the studio unless you're going to do a huge amount of post-production work in Photoshop. And that's really, as nature photographers, I think not what most of us, not what most of us do. I think most of us want to try and get it right in camera. So I think that'll do us for today. Some thoughts on how to create great wildlife photographs in the field. Um, based on my experience over the years, you know, the mistakes I've made going back, you know, 30 years or more now, back when I was shooting uh, slide film, right up until what I still try and do today in the field and the techniques that I'll use when I'm up in Finland in, you know, a little over a month's time, uh, trying to photograph the wolves and wolverines up there. I'll be doing exactly these sorts of things, looking for the right background, uh, spending time scouting out the, uh, locations finding where the wildlife's going to be, working out where I want them in the frame once I've chosen the background uh, and running some test shots. So I hope that will help you a little bit next time you're out in the field on how to get better wildlife photographs. I'm going to try and do another podcast, um, I hope in the next few days, if I get the time. Uh, There's a few other things I want to talk about at the moment. The COVID situation here in Australia is currently changing. Uh, that Delta variant is starting to get a little bit out of control. Certainly in New South Wales, it is anyway. I've got to have a bit more to say about that. I think um, there's more to, to talk about in that area. And I'm also going to have a fairly large update on the Ellesmere Island expedition as well. I've got dates confirmed now for 2023. So very excited about that. Okay, so that's it. I'm Josh. This has been the Wild Nature Photography Podcast on a very windy 22nd of August, 2021. And I look forward to seeing you out in the field.